0: Welcome to the Rise to the Challenge podcast. Join me today, she's a type 1 diabetic, lifestyle blogger, and National American Miss Arizona. It's Sophia Labolsi. How are you doing today, Sophia?
1: Hey, Alex. I am just fantastic. Thank you for having me on your show.
0: We're so excited to have you on the show to talk about your rise to the challenge. What we like to do with all of our guests is go right to the beginning. Talk about where you're from and what you like doing growing up.
1: Sure. Yeah. So I moved around quite a bit when I was younger. I was born in California, lived in Arizona for a little bit when I was a young child, then lived in, uh, excuse me, Ohio for nine months, <laughs> then moved to Texas for 15 years and then recently came back to Arizona just this last year. I've always been a pretty social person, so I love to hang out with friends ever since I was little. Big on being outdoors, whether it's you know hiking, camping, fishing, all of those types of things. I love cooking and baking, and my interests have kind of been established since I was a little kid, which is funny enough. Obviously, they change a little bit, but I'm the type of person that I know what I like, and I stick with it.
0: Would you say you're more of a West Coast kind of person because you tried the Midwest with being in Ohio and then you're back to the West Coast?
1: Oh, that's so tough. I'm definitely either West Coast or Southern because I just loved Texas. It's so much fun there.
0: What's a favorite thing you did in Texas or like something that's been memorable for you?
1: Sure. Yeah. So. Football is a huge part of the Texan culture and the high school that I went to for people who are high school football fans was Allen High School. And we had a $60 million football stadium for our high school team. It was absolutely absurd, but it was definitely a focal point for the community, for everyone to come together. And that will always, of course, stand out to me when I think about Texas because of how crazy it was.
0: I've seen those photos of what high schools look like down there, and especially their stadiums, like having practice facilities. And I'm thinking, where's all this money coming from? <laughs> like, I right? went to high That's school, question. and people thought, like, the people that were going to my high school was rich. And then I'm looking at these, I'm like, uh, you can't compare me to that. What's there? Where did you go to high school? I went to Parkway Central here in St. Louis, Missouri. So it was out of the Parkway schools, it's known as the Rich School, but- mm-hmm. I wouldn't say I was that because my mom was a teacher and my dad was in countertops and stuff. So we were basically, we were middle-class, I would say, but still lived naturally wealthy in a way.
1: Mm -hmm. Gotcha, gotcha.
0: With going to Arizona... Was it easy for you to make friends? You talked about being very social. And was it kind of that kind of style where you were able to introduce yourself to people, make friends, kind of interact in a way and be yourself?
1: Yeah, sure. So when I first moved back to Arizona, it was right after I graduated college. And in college, of course, it's a lot easier of an environment to make friends because you have people your age just naturally around you. Right. So I moved here fresh out of college and it was the first time in my life when I didn't have a natural place to meet friends. Mm -hmm. So I did quite honestly just go up to people at different events and groups that I went to and said, hey, my name's Sophia. I'm trying to make new friends. I just moved here. And that was even a little bit out of my comfort zone, even though I am quite social, because that's just a scary thing in general to like put yourself out there like that. But so it was scary, but I managed to do it. And I have some awesome girlfriends out here now. So it all worked out in the end.
0: Growing up, did you have anyone that was a big motivator or inspiration for you?
1: Mm, That's a great question. I feel like the basic answer is parents. (laughs) So I'm going to give you a two-part answer because there's a couple people I'm thinking of. So of course, my parents, Um, those were two people in my life, my mom and dad, that really inspired and motivated me. My family has always been quite close, and I feel very blessed and fortunate with the way my parents raised me. I feel like they instilled a lot of great values in me that I'm very, very thankful for. And then the second part of that answer is one of my high school teachers. Her name was Mrs. Rowley. She just totally invested in her students and really got us involved Just past the classwork, she got us involved in extracurriculars. She really cared about our personal lives. And she was just one of those teachers that, you know, you remember forever because she made such a huge impact on your life.
0: With how involved she was as a teacher in your guys' extracurricular and studies and even personal lives, is there something that she did or a skill that she gave you guys that you still instill today with the things that you do with getting involved or getting into certain activities and stuff like that.
1: Yeah. So the main extracurricular that she encouraged us with was something called DECA, which the data that, have you heard of that before? Yeah. Yeah. And so for the people that don't know, the way I like to explain it is it's kind of like a shark tank situation for high schoolers where the sharks are judges kind of judging you on your ability to present or have different business interactions. And so we actually ended up going to the international competition for DECA twice in high school under the leadership of that teacher. And so we got to travel to Anaheim one year, Georgia another year. And so just the fact that she not only, like I said, cared about us on a personal level, but she really instilled a lot of professionalism, and business skills in all of her students that I definitely still use to this day, especially the presentation skills.
0: Would you say that's the biggest thing Deca taught you about yourself or did it find a new skill in you that you never knew you had in you?
1: Hmm. I think it helped me hone in on my presentation skills because I'd done some level of presentations up until that point, but not under the same pressure and type of environment that DECA gave me so it definitely helped me with that
0: did you kind of know DECA was something that you always wanted to do did you have that kind of business mentality or did you kind of get influenced by someone that kind of was doing it all right and you're like I want to kind of follow in their footsteps
1: I did not know that I wanted to do it prior to joining. And it was totally Miss Rowley. Like I, which is the teacher that I said has Mm. been a huge motivation and inspiration for me. I was in one of her business electives just because I joined that elective to get a credit, not really sure what it would lead to. (laughs) And she recruited like all of the students that came in through her elective classes. And of course, not everyone wanted to join, but She definitely encouraged those of us that she saw had that kind of business savvy mindset to join. So yeah, it's really all because of her. Like she's an incredible lady.
0: Sometimes we're asked that fun question growing up. What's that dream job of ours? When you were growing up, what was that dream job for you?
1: Yeah. So funnily enough, I always knew I wanted to be involved in business in some level. I didn't necessarily want to do DECA, didn't necessarily know how it would come about. But I would always say that I wanted to be in the people side of business. And I feel like that's a weird question um, to answer like that when you're a young child. But my dad was in sales. And so I always experienced him going to bring lunch to his customers, going to take his customers to nice dinners, getting to help others in a very customer service focused role. And so I've always known that I really enjoy helping and serving people. And I also enjoy business. So that's kind of where that interesting answer came from.
0: <laughs> when you said like people, I'm thinking, okay, is she HR, but then it's like customer service external. Mm-hmm. So it's like not being in an office, you would like the customer service out in the public and where you're out there with the customers or the clients or the companies that you work with, or like what your dad was doing. And I think- That is definitely a unique skill set, especially with the presentation side, because you're always presenting something when you're in those situations. And it's kind of helping you be able to public speak because you're going to be out there trying to do whatever you need to, to make that sale happen.
1: Exactly. Even if it's on a small scale, everyone has a platform in any interaction you have with people. So that's a really good point that even in a conversation with a customer, you are having to present on some level.
0: How did the next route go for you? So after high school, did you go to college or did you go to the workforce? And what was that path like for you?
1: Yeah, so I did go to college and I stayed in Texas for my four years of going to university. I went to the University of North Texas. I really enjoyed it because it's a mid, it's a little large, but it's kind of a mid-sized school So not too overwhelming. They have something for everyone. It seems like there's all different kinds of organizations and clubs and sports. And it's funny you mentioned HR because that's part of what I got my degree in. I got my degree in marketing, organizational behavior, and human resources because true to my previous answer, I just like the people side of business. I can't choose one thing. Um, and I also was so blessed to join a Christian sorority in college called Sigma Phi Lambda. And I was just a member for a year or two. Then I ended up serving as elected chaplain, which was an incredible experience to bond with other girls, have so much fun doing date parties and chapter and formal and all those fun things. So college was overall a great experience for me. Of course, there were ups and downs, but I feel like overall, I really lucked out.
0: What was a challenging part of your college experience for you?
1: Yeah, so like I mentioned, I moved back to Arizona just last year after I graduated. However, my mom, dad, and my brother actually moved to Arizona two years prior to when I did, right when I was smack dab in the middle of my college career. And they wanted me to come with them, but it would have been a lot to transfer credits and move while I'm right in the middle of getting my degree. So I ended up staying, and this was in the fall of 2019. And Alex, I know you're a type one diabetic as well. So I'm, you know, imagine your parents, they leave. Um, you're here on your own in college as a type one diabetic. It was a big step for my parents to not live near me just because there's some health emergencies that may come up. And then the next month COVID happens. And so- We're very isolated. My parents are freaking out because they have an autoimmune deficient daughter in another state. So I think that was a challenge just to navigate that new dynamic with my parents and my family. But mm -hmm.
0: for people listening, Sophia and I both are going through the same experience with type 1 diabetes. And I want to start at the very beginning. Talk about leading up to your diagnosis. What was going on? What were you feeling? Was there any kind of like hidden things or kind of notices that people were noticing in you that kind of led to that moment?
1: Yes, there definitely were. So I was a very active child. I was involved in a lot of sports and I was also very tall. Like I'm five, five and I've been this height since the sixth grade. (laughs) So, which is crazy, but the first thing that my family started to notice was that I looked like I was really thinning out and losing weight. And their first step of logic was, oh, Sophie is probably going through a growth spurt again because she grows all the time. She's active. This is just kind of a phase in her young adult life. Um, And then following that, I started to get very lethargic and I was drinking a million gallons of water a day using the restroom very frequently, which are two very common symptoms of type one diabetes. And then another really strange symptom that I had that I think is quite uncommon is water started to taste really bad for me. I think it had something to do with the ketones that get present in your mouth. When you have such a high blood sugar that your body's just reacting in all kinds of weird ways. But I like wouldn't drink water because it was very gross. And this was all happening when I was 13 years old, by the way, I should have mentioned that at the start, but I was 13 (laughs) years old. And my mom, after all of these symptoms presented themselves, finally was like, okay, this is definitely more than a growth spurt. Something is not quite right. And she called the doctor and my symptoms were classic type one diabetes symptoms. So they were like, we think she has this condition, bring her in, we'll get her tested Sure enough, I go in the next day, my blood sugar was 530-something, I can't quite remember. And I stayed in the hospital for three days after that, like most type 1 diabetics do, and learned all about my new life that I had ahead of me.
0: What was your family's reaction when that diagnosis happened? Were they kind of nervous, freaking out? Like, how are we going to be able to handle this? We're not prepared for this. because. A lot of times with families, it kind of happens out of nowhere. And I know from my experience, my family kind of panicked because they never experiences this in our family because I'm the only one. So how did your family react?
1: Yeah, I definitely relate to that. I'm the only type one diabetic in my family that we know of, at least. And my mom definitely went a little bit into worry mode just because she's such a caring and concerned parent. That's kind of how she is. But luckily, she actually majored in nutrition in college. So a lot of the carb counting and new things you have to learn about food and your relationship with food as a diabetic, she was able to help me with. I remember my dad, he came to the hospital after the diagnosis and was like, this isn't right. Like. (laughs) He totally was like, you should do another test because I just don't think this is right. So I think he was just in shock and confused and was like, there's no way this can be true. But what did your parents do? Did they kind of, I know you said they worried and panicked, but how did they react?
0: So my dad was a paramedic EMT. So he was kind of used to like the condition in a way, but not like treating it constantly. My mom was panicking and still to this day, she gets worried um, because I've had so many ups and downs in my years of going through it. But during that time, it's so much responsibility. I was 10 when I got diagnosed, yeah. and a lot has happened like waking up at 4 a.m. to make sure I'm still th- breathing and stuff because making sure Lantas and all that change. But it's a, so much responsibility that she was worried that it was going to be too much. And I think it really tested my abilities to be able to, okay, you have to think about being an adult at an at a early age. Did Very- you kind of see that responsibility in you where you're like, okay, we're going to f- fast forward years because now you're an adult taking care of your body 24 seven.
1: Totally. Yes. And I've always been told that I'm very mature for my age. (laughs) And I think that type one diabetes does have a lot to do with it. Because like I mentioned, I was 13 when I was first diagnosed. And so my parents actually kind of gave me the choice because 13 is an age where you're kind of becoming self aware and responsible They asked me if they wanted like myself to take the lead on my management or for them to take the lead. And so what I chose was I wanted to go ahead and take the lead, be the one to administer my insulin, count my carbs for the most part. Of course, they helped me, but they allowed me that freedom to kind of straight off the bat, get used to managing my diabetes. And I found that very helpful for me personally, especially because Um, as I got into my later teen and young adult years, I am very independent. I am living in a different state than my family, or I was at least for a couple of years. So yes, totally relate to you're growing up a little faster than you thought you were going to.
0: With your friends and other family members outside of the main household, how did they react with you being a diabetic? Did you kind of see changes in tides with friendships and, or were they kind of more trying to be interested in kind of learning about what you're going through so that they could be better prepared in the future if you were going through low blood sugars and things like that?
1: Yes. So I was very blessed on the friend front when I first got diagnosed. A lot of the friends I had at that time were friends that I made back in elementary school. So I had really close relationships with them and they were just mostly concerned. They later on kind of wanted to learn more about it. But I remember initially they were very concerned. Mm-hmm. Um I had a few classmates who didn't quite understand and kind of made some of those stereotypical comments and asked some stereotypical questions that, we type one diabetics often get. Um, So that was maybe the negative side of it. But I will say a year or less than a year after being diagnosed with type one diabetes, one of my friends introduced me to one of her friends that had been a type one diabetic for several years before me. And so because of that common connection, we met and she's been my best friend now for a decade. Like I call her my sister and we wouldn't have met if it wasn't for type one diabetes, which is another interesting fact of having a chronic condition. It obviously not ideal, but it opens up so many opportunities and changes your life in ways you may not expect.
0: What's been the biggest challenge you have faced being a type one diabetic, or is there a specific moment that's been kind of memorable in the challenge aspect? Mm-hmm. I
1: think if there's one specific moment that kind of sums up the challenge I feel is most prevalent around type one diabetes, it would be the day that I returned back from school after my three day hospital visit after first being diagnosed And I went into one of my classes and one of the classmates that asked me a bit of a stereotypical question said, why were you gone for three days? Are you okay? And I shared with him, yes, I'm okay. But I was in the hospital because I guess I have type one diabetes. And he kind of looks me up and down and goes, oh, I didn't realize you were fat. And I just remember from that day being like, whoa, is this what life's going to be like? Because... Type 1 diabetes is so interesting because it's a very physically tasking condition. It's exhausting when you're dealing with blood sugar roller coasters. You are sometimes feeling like a human pincushion, whether you do multiple daily injections or with all of your sight changes from CGMs and pumps. So there's that aspect of it, very physically tasking. But then unlike many conditions, you're actually oftentimes getting misunderstood and blamed for a disease that you did not bring upon yourself, but because of stereotypes and misinformation, people are interacting with you that way. And so then it becomes a bit of a mentally tasking chronic illness. So for me, it's just that diabetes is so physically and mentally tasking. I think that kind of makes it unique in terms of chronic illness.
0: I totally relate to the physical parts because when I'm telling someone about what I'm going through, you kind of get the judgment of, Oh no, you're fine. I, but I tell them, I go, you're not in my shoes dealing with this 24 seven. And if you were in my shoes, you would kind of understand. And I think that's so important with like doctors, doc. It's funny. I just had an endocrinologist appointment before this um interview. And the one thing she always says is I'm not living with this. So I can only tell you from an outsider's perspective where we're the ones living with it 24 seven. We know what our bodies are going through and the physical aspect makes me challenge mentally and emotionally. And I think because of that, it's made me stronger in a way that I can face any challenge. And if you kind of look at in, like when you grow up, you're like, I'm not gonna let anyone tell me I can't do something. That's the thing that I've learned from being a diabetic is just because I am a diabetic doesn't mean I can't do anything.
1: That's an amazing perspective to have. That's such a good reminder.
0: With those challenges, what's been the most positive thing and monumental thing that diabetes has brought to you?
1: Absolutely. So I relate to you quite a bit on the fact that although we have this condition, it really strengthens you. And like I mentioned earlier, obviously having type one diabetes is not ideal, but there are so many honestly, wonderful things that come out of it. I'm now much more considerate of how to take care of my body, how to properly fuel it with nutrition. I'm much more empathetic. I'm stronger. I'm braver. I'm less fearful of different things that I used to be scared of before dealing with something so difficult, like a chronic condition. And so I love these resilient characteristics that being a type one diabetic has brought me. And I've loved that in my journey, I've been fortunate enough to learn from other diabetics and share my knowledge with other diabetics through my blog and through different speaking engagements that I've done. So it's, I wouldn't be who I am today without type one diabetes. And I think that's something I try and remember a lot.
0: Talk about creating a blog, a lifestyle blogger as yourself and doing those speaking engagements. How did that been created?
1: So when I was 18 years old, I kind of had finished up middle school, high school. I was very active with JDRF and really enjoyed volunteering and making a difference in the type one community. And I'd also kind of continuously throughout those years faced a lot of the stereotypical assumptions that Mm -hmm. we get as type one diabetics. And so one day when I was 18, it was very spur of the moment. I decided that I wanted to create a blog to not only help with and connect other diabetics and also learn from them myself, but to kind of work to debunk a lot of these stereotypes that are really harmful for us as type one diabetics and not even on just the mental and emotional front. But I recently wrote an article that talks about how the misinformation and stereotypes of diabetics is actually really bad in the fight for affordable insulin because people don't take our needs seriously because diabetes is taken as a joke. And so I wanted to create my blog for those reasons to connect with people, make a difference and really just impact and improve the diabetes community in any way that I could.
0: What's been that reaction impact that you've seen from people that are reading the articles and blogs?
1: Yes. So I think it's very informative for them and my typical writing style is honestly not as informative. I'm very conversational. I like to share tips. I like to share stories. Um, I like to create some humorous content. I mean, my blog's name is what the prick after all, which is pretty, pretty punny if I do say so myself, but yeah, a lot of the articles, I just strive to bring awareness or educate. And so hopefully I'm bringing across those points, but when I originally started my blog, it truly was just a passion project and a hobby. And it kind of evolved from there over the last several years into something larger. And I'm so grateful for that. But it's just been an incredible journey, quite honestly.
0: Do you ever feel the pressure with the content that you are writing? Because sometimes, you know, with social media nowadays and public opinions, everyone can go different ways. They can always have their own opinion. And I think Sometimes that is also good because it's different perspective. Someone might read it differently. Does that get feel like pressure to you where you get that moment and you're like, do I want to post this because of that?
1: Personally, I don't really struggle with that. I know a lot of people who do, and I can totally see how that would affect people. But from my perspective, my page is me sharing my journey and my perspective. I know it's not always agreeable. It may not be right, but this is just my opinion and my personality shining through, through my posts. So if you don't agree, you don't have to follow. And I totally get that, but I'm just sharing my journey and my perspective because that's what I have to offer the world. And I want to be true to myself.
0: Do you have a favorite article, blog, content post that you've done that's kind of been fun for you to create?
1: Mm. Mm-hmm. Yes, there is one article that I felt so inspired by, really enjoyed the conversation that it was derived from. And it was my blog where I interviewed a man named Richard Vaughn who at the time had been living with type 1 diabetes for over 75 years with no major complications. And he is just the sweetest elderly man who loves his wife, loves his family, is just so positive. And I think that's so inspiring for people to hear that it's possible to live with a chronic condition for a long time and have a happy, fulfilling life.
0: What do you see the future for yourself with content creation? Is there something that's been on that vision board that you're wanting to create? Or where do you see what's next?
1: Yes. So when I first started my platform, and still to this day, it's a lot of social media posts and blog articles, which which I absolutely enjoy. And I do not want to stop doing that by any means. But I've really found a passion in doing speaking engagements and helping out events. So I would love to get more involved in doing things like that because I feel like I have a skill set there and it's something I'm passionate about. And when you work in something you're passionate about, it really shines through.
0: I want to go back and tie this all together. So you talked about earlier how your dream job was to work with people and Mm -hmm. kind of in that business aspect. What you're doing today can definitely be that connection where You're working with people in a different capacity where your blog is that business, but you're on the front side of it where you're talking to people, really getting to know diabetics out there, families with diabetics. Do you feel that you are fulfilling that dream that you had as that dream job in what you're doing, even though it's in a different capacity?
1: I honestly do. And that's a really good point. I do feel that I'm fulfilling that dream that I've had for several years. I will say this isn't a full-time position. So that's an important thing to note. I also do marketing for a business strategy coaching firm currently. So I would love for maybe one day my platform to evolve into a full-time position. But for now, yes, it totally is in line with that goal and dream that I had. That's a really good point.
0: You talked about speaking engagements. Is there a dream speaking event that you would love to speak at?
1: Not necessarily one particularly, but just anything relating to diabetes, like maybe a type one diabetes conference, a summit, something like that. I would love to be involved in an event like that specifically for type ones surrounded by type ones. I think that would just be so
0: much fun. Did you, and this is kind of a fun question, did you ever go to or get introduced to any of those like diabetes camps growing up? Did you?
1: Ever... I did. Absolutely. I did. I went for one year and it was so much fun. Did you ever go?
0: No, I went, I kind of look back at it and I wish I took advantage of that because I think it would have been so crucial when I first was diagnosed to really be introduced to kids that are going through it where you're kind of brand new. But you kind of get to see, okay, other kids are going through the same thing. But talk about that experience for you.
1: Yes. So I ended up going a year after I was diagnosed. So I did have the chance to go kind of right on that cusp of being newly diagnosed. And I went with the type one diabetic girl that later became my best friend. And it was just an unbelievable experience. That was my first time meeting several other type one diabetics and just being in a room And looking around and seeing medical devices on almost every person and just knowing that everyone understands exactly what you're going through in this aspect of your life was so cool. And then kind of a side note, fun story from this. So I still stay in touch with several of these people that I met at this diabetes camp. And this was almost 10 years ago at this point. And one of the guys that I stayed in touch with ended up going to the same college as me. And so one day he came over to my apartment and we were hanging out, catching up. And my roommate at the time came downstairs and then they ended up striking a conversation and I could kind of see some sparks flying. I was like, whoa, (laughs) what's going on here? And so they ended up hitting it off and now they are actually married. They've been married for over a year. And so that's another thing that type one diabetes brought to fruition. If I didn't have diabetes and if he didn't have diabetes, we wouldn't have gone to the camp. And all these things that happened later, he wouldn't have met his future wife. So that's just a funny story that I love about Diabetes
0: Camp. Add matchmaker to the resume.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, I, trust me, they had their own conversation going. I, they did not need me. I was like trying to sink into the couch,
0: like. Anyone that's listening to the audio version, you're probably not seeing what Sophia and I look like right now. But Sophia has her stash and crowns and- Talk about this journey that you're on as National American Miss Arizona.
1: Yeah, so I was very recently crowned Miss Arizona on July 24th, so it's only been a couple of weeks, and this has been one of my favorite journeys that I've taken in my life. I first competed in a pageant when I was 13, and it was only three months after I was first diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. I know I'd already planned to compete before my diagnosis. And I think I wanted to prove to myself that I could still do anything that I set my mind to. And so even though it was a little crazy and my parents were like, are you sure you still want to go through with this? I sure did because I'm stubborn like that. (laughs) And ever since that first pageant, I absolutely fell in love. I got fourth runner up at that first one, which was really exciting. And I've continued on to do a couple of different pageants, a couple of state level pageants, one national pageant. And this most recent year, obviously, I had some success and am so excited for my reign this year. It is going to be such a blast. And now that I've won the Arizona State Pageant in November, I will be traveling to Orlando, Florida to compete for the title of National American Miss, along with all of the winners from each of the 50 states.
0: What's the biggest thing you're wanting to accomplish during this reign as Miss Arizona?
1: So I am huge on serving and helping others. That is something that is so important to me. I think that there's not a lot that we leave behind in this life in terms of a legacy. That's lasting. A lot of people want it to be their career, sometimes material items. But to me, what really matters is if you leave the world a better place than you found it and you impact people for good. I think that's so important. And so there's a couple of different charities that I work with. Of course, Type 1 Diabetes is my platform. So really just highlighting that, bringing education and awareness to that at a national level. And then I'm also a foster care advocate and mentor for foster kids in the state of Arizona. So those are the two main charitable causes I hope to accomplish. But really just being of service this year is super, super important to me.
0: A lot of times the pageant world definitely gets their versions of public opinions with TV shows, things that they read in the media. And you kind of talked about how you debunked type one diabetes facts and stereotypes. Is there anything you can share to us about what the pageant world is truly like for you and the things that you experienced in the pageant world and kind of how you got involved being on the stage, what it's taught you about yourself?
1: Absolutely. So The system that I compete in is called National American Miss, and this system is just fantastic. Like I said, I've been competing in it since I was 13. It's so awesome. I just don't want to (laughs) leave. And their main mission is growing confidence. So the competitions in this specific system are formal wear, where you have an evening gown and you're walking on stage, personal introduction, where you share a 30-second blurb essentially about yourself in front of an audience and panel of judges, interview, and then community service is actually a required part of this pageant system. And so I think, like you said, from the movies, we think of swimsuit competitions. We think of the answer to every question being world peace. When (laughs) (laughs) pageants have a truly magical way of instilling confidence in girls and really teaching you important life skills. Like my public speaking, my interview skills have all been heavily influenced by my involvement in pageantry and National American Miss.
0: With type one diabetes and um, pageant, sometimes contestants will wear the devices. Do you wear any of the devices on you? And does that kind of give you more confidence and not being afraid to show those things or say, I am a type one diabetic, I am on the stage and I'm kind of, sharing that any diabetic can be on the stage like me.
1: Yeah, so when I compete in pageants, I am very open about my type one diabetes and I do wear my medical devices in visible places. And not only do I do that because it's a part of what makes me unique, it's my platform, it's mm-hmm. the way that I wanna impact my community through my reign, but the pageantry and modeling space also has a lot of stereotypical body image expectations. And when you think of a model or a pageant queen, you often don't think of a diabetic because of the stereotypes associated with each. You think of a tall, skinny girl when you think of a model or pageant queen, and you think of someone who is unhealthy and lazy when you think of a diabetic. And so really just stepping out of those pre- determined ideas that people have of me, not only for myself, but for others is of the utmost importance to me.
0: I love that you mentioned the stereotype aspects of, and we kind of talked about throughout this interview where I, I just hate when people like say those things like, oh, you can't have sugar. That was the one thing that I think I was asked so many times, oh, you can't eat this. And I go, I can eat whatever I want. I just choose not to, eat it. It's my choice. But I think the whole body image is such an important topic because I'm friends with diabetics who are all different shapes, sizes, backgrounds, experiences. And I think that's what makes it so special because you can't tell that someone's a diabetic just by looking at them. It's when you get to know them, you kind of see them going through the systems, the process of taking blood sugars. Then you're like, okay, I I see it now. But you wouldn't have no idea. Like just looking at us, you wouldn't have no idea we're diabetics until we exactly the devices we're wearing, the things that we're going through on a daily basis. That's what's so special, I think, about diabe- diabetics is everyone has their own unique story and makes them special.
1: That is so true. You have such a good perspective on <laughs> diabetes. I love listening to it.
0: It only took me 17 years, I would say. But I think... <laughs> You have to go through those struggles, and I've had the highs, the lows, and I think over it. Do, it doesn't come to me right away. I think as an adult, you kind of look at it from a different point of view than when I was ten or eleven going through it. And now I appreciate what I was doing and the people that helped me throughout that time to work, to get me to where I am today.
1: Exactly, and we live in such a hyper individualistic culture where a lot of the things that people share about themselves are all of the good things, all of the successes, all of the things that make them wonderful. But I think it's so important to really consider what got you to that success because oftentimes it's failures and mistakes that you're learning from and using as educational experiences that are the building blocks of getting to that healthy perspective point or that success that you achieved. So I think it's really important not to discount that, like you said.
0: After winning that title, do you ever feel like you just want to walk out in public with the crown on and just like showcase it to the world? Anywhere you go, if you go to the grocery store, you're just, I just want to wear my crown today.
1: You know, I maybe say that in my internal monologue, but I don't actually <laughs> do it. <laughs> Like, for example, I recently went on a family vacation and it was the first time that I wore the crown and sash out in public when it wasn't like a pageantry setting. And I was actually nervous because I, I mean, it's still so new to me. And I was like, oh my gosh, people are going to look at me. They're not going to know what's going on. But I was like, why do I care? Like, this is my moment. I'm going to go take a couple pictures. No one's going to, no one's going to (laughs) care.
0: I would be, I would be like, if I like won a medal or something, I would probably been the same way I'd wear it because, you know, you're going to get the people that are going to judge, but it's like, I earned this. Like I worked hard to get to, and you see like the Olympians, they worked hard for that medal. They better be out there showcasing it to the world. They earned that medal for the four years that they worked to get to it. You earned that crown.
1: That's hilarious. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, definitely still getting used to even just wearing it and the idea of it. But it's so exciting. I love it.
0: Something that our listeners like to learn is even more about our guests. When you're not working, when you're not doing speaking engagement, you're not doing blogs, what does Sophia like to do for fun?
1: Ooh, yes. I am a big advocate for enjoying life and having fun. I think that's super important. And I honestly think it's kind of a lost art. Like people are overworking themselves, only focusing on some of the boring things in life. I think that's just kind of how society has progressed. So that's a great question. I love that question. I, like I said, I'm very social. I love hanging out with friends. I love to go on coffee dates. I love to go out to lunch. And I also am very fortunate to live a mile from downtown Gilbert, which is a really cute area in Arizona. They have a farmer's market every Saturday. They have lots of great restaurants and shops. So I actually love to walk down there either by myself or to meet friends and just spend time trying new things and just enjoying the city in which I live. I also love to cook, also love to hike, which is a super basic Arizona thing to say, I know. (laughs) And I love to like binge watch a Netflix show. Like, when I need to relax, I will totally just lay on my couch for, like, hours (laughs) and watch a good show. My cat will be laying on my shoulder. She'll be watching with me. (laughs) Those are some of the best nights.
0: (laughs) What's your current show that you're watching?
1: So I just finished watching Too Hot to Handle, which is really (laughs) trashy. I know. Trashy reality TV is, like, my guilty pleasure.
0: (laughs) Those are the best shows though. You know, every episode is going to be something dramatic and you're thinking they're really complaining about this. This is like not even worth the complaint about, but you know, the producers, they got to give it to us
1: exactly like I know it's bad like I know this is trashy tv but I just love it like there's something about it that I'm like I need to watch the next episode to find out what happens right
0: I I have that as a guilty pleasure reality tv I just I love the competition reality shows I always told myself (laughs) I'm gonna be on one and then I was so I was a big I'm a huge fan of big brother Mm -hmm. and right before COVID happened there was an audition in an office building next to the office that I worked and my boss was going to give me a few hours to be off to go audition. Planned on doing it, COVID hit. They canceled all the auditions. I was like, my one opportunity to at least try didn't even happen.
1: No, that would have been so awesome. I feel like you would have done well on Big Brother.
0: I would hope so. I mean, I don't know if I could be in the house for three months, not being able to do podcasting. I would probably have to like bulk record for three months and just have it already ready ready to post. But with cooking, what's your go-to cooking, especially with diabetes, what do you like to cook? And have you noticed that you're like changing up recipes and stuff to kind of still enjoy, but it's still helping you manage your diabetes?
1: Yes, I think that is the most important thing. You can't limit yourself to an unhealthy extent, yeah. even as a type one diabetic. So something that I like to do is find healthier healthier alternatives to some of my favorite foods. Oh, sorry, I heard an alarm going off, but it was outside my door. My <laughs> phone. Anyway, will you ask me the question again? I'm sorry, I lost my train of thought.
0: With cooking, do you find any recipes that you still enjoy, but you kind of substitute to help manage your diabetes better in a way?
1: Yes. So I think it's really important as a type one diabetic to not totally limit yourself, but to find healthy alternatives to the foods you really enjoy. So some of the things I love are cheeseburgers and tacos, like those two, I could eat those all day, every day. (laughs) And so (laughs) some of my favorite things to make are either burger bowls, where I make homemade sweet potato fries, incorporate that in there with all my favorite toppings, sauces, cheese, hamburger meat, or tacos. Homemade tacos are just so much fun because you can use corn tortillas, low carb tortillas, and tacos can be totally different every time. Like sometimes I'll make like a mango jerk chicken taco. And then sometimes I'll make like a Taco Bell copycat situation.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'm now hungry, basically. And I'm just going to go upstairs (laughs) and cook something. I saw one of your posts about a burger bowl. Mm. And I saw it and I was like, okay, where's the, give me the recipe, put it on the shopping list. I got to make it. And I always, when I, I love to cook and I always try to do this good recipes, but substitute it because Sometimes healthy eating, you don't want calories, you don't want carbs, but even with the sugar items, like making my own pizza crust with Greek yogurt, and it's so good because Greek yogurt's good for diabetics because it's, I mean, there's still sugar in it, but I told myself, you can enjoy these things. And I always get made fun of because when I eat M&Ms, I have one M&M. And they're like, why only one? I go, I just want the chocolate flavor, but I don't need to take a handful. And then, okay, now I have to take like 10 shots of insulin basically right now.
1: Hey, I mean, I understand the logic, but that is pretty funny. Just one. (laughs) You're like, this will do it. That's a rare skill to have because I feel like a lot of people are like, I need five five. I used
0: to be like that with Oreos. Like I could eat a whole like sleeve of Oreos, but I have to like control myself in a way. The final question I'll ask you for someone that's listening to this interview based on your journey and experience, what tips or advice would you give them to overcome obstacles, accomplish their goals, and rise to the challenge?
1: Absolutely. I think my number one piece of advice for the listeners in that context is to not beat yourself up for the mistakes you make, especially as young people like you and I are, we're pretty young. We are learning so much and making mistakes is only natural. And for some reason, people often feel a lot of shame around that. However, looking at these situations as learning opportunities and taking them, analyzing them and using them to improve on for the next time. I think is something that's so important. So it's all about your perspective when it comes to mistakes because you're gonna make them, it's only natural. But yeah, my number one piece of advice is to harness them for good and don't beat yourself up.
0: Sophia, I wanna thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about your rise to the challenge. You're inspiring so many people and we are excited to see what the future looks like for you.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it.
0: Tune in next time here. hear my next guest talk about their rise to the challenge. Remember to follow and subscribe on all major audio platforms. And make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel for the full length episode video format. What path do you take to accomplish your goals? You die.